0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Steve. One of the things that some of you may know about me, but not everyone might, is that um, one of my hobbies is restoring furniture. I do woodwork. Um, It's not something I do professionally by any means. My father was a carpenter his whole life. And um, I kind of inherited some of that from him. I'm by no means the master carpenter that he was, but I do enjoy um, finding old furniture, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80, 100 years old, that's on, on its last leg and then restoring it back up and seeing people use it again. It's just something that kind of um, relaxes me and allows me to kind of get out of my head and some of the things that are going on in regular life. So I enjoy that. And, what happens is that usually works for about eight to nine months until I fill the basement with furniture. And then my wife says, all right, we need to get rid of all this furniture, whether it's give it away, which we do sometimes, or possibly, you know, bring it to like a garage sale or a flea market or something like that. Just try to get rid of this furniture that we've made. So um, about two years ago, we loaded up our vehicles with this, with a bunch of furniture that we had restored, and we brought it down to this flea market craft fair that they have in Woodstock, New York. Um, they do a, do it in a park right in the middle of Woodstock, and it's a nice little setup. So we get there and we set up our little area, and we're, um, Meeting new people. It's nice that you get to chat with people and hopefully offload some of the furniture out of my basement. Um, But we're setting that up and we started to look around and, and Megan and I started taking turns kind of walking around the little craft fair area and seeing what other people had. And what I noticed was a bit of a surprise was that half of the craft fair wasn't crafts at all. There was tents with crystals there was tents with people that were doing um, spirit animal totems. There was, there was astrology tents or astrology tables. There was people doing um, spiritual massages, all sorts of crazy stuff that had nothing to do really with crafts, right? And it kind of shocked and surprised me a bit. And I said, wow, this is really out there that there's this much of a racket to play on people's hopes and needs, Right? These were all just various things that people were like, oh, is something going wrong in your life? Do you, are you struggling? Do you need to understand? Like, come to us and we can figure it out. If you come to my table, I can pull out the right crystal and it will get rid of your bad energy. Which is kind of silly, right? Um, we know that that's not how things work. Um, and to be honest, it really is pushing, it's pushing the bounds of not crossing them of paganism and idolatry, right? It's asking people to put their faith in things that are not God. Putting your faith in crystals and rocks, right? Or putting your faith in tarot cards or putting your faith in when you were born, right? That, to be honest, is a bit crazy too, right? Your astrology, what month you're born. Well, if you're a Virgo, right, then this is going to be how your day goes. Well, that's really kind of out there, not to mention the fact that if you think about it, just in the United States alone, there's like 360 million people. Right. So that means like 30 million people are having the same day. That seems that there's no way that that's happening. Right. Again, it's this kind of scam mentality. People just know that they can play off people that are in need or people who are who are struggling with challenges. And so if they tell you what you want to hear and if they're vague enough about it, right, they're bound to hit somewhere and they can keep you coming back for more. And so this, it was kind of unsettling to me, to be honest, the more I walked around this craft fair, to see all of these things, right? All these different ways that people were trying to take people's money, but also have them invest their faith in something that wasn't God, right? And it was, it was a little discerning to me. Unfortunately, the thing is, is this is not something new. This has been around as long as we've been around. As long as sin has been in the world, as long as idolatry has been in the world, there's been things like this, right? Saying, "Hey, if you take this crystal home with you and you um, you know meditate on it and you put it on your chakras or whatever, I don't even know what that is. right? If you put it on your chakras three times a day, right, then you'll be blessed. That's not far off from saying, if you pray to this golden cow, you're going to be blessed." It's really the same situation. And what we're going to see today in, uh, in our study today in 1 Samuel 28, is that Saul falls into the same issues. The king of Israel at the time has the same problems. And so we're going to talk today, is, the title of my message today is, Where Do You Turn? Right? Where do you turn when you have trouble in your life? When there's struggles, when there's strife, when you're afraid for things? Where do you go? Right? And the important part is we need to always remember to turn to God. But we're going to see that Saul does not do that. And it leads to his demise, um, unfortunately. But we're going to see kind of what this is almost, 1 Samuel 28 is almost like a a model in what not to do. From Saul's perspective, how you shouldn't handle things. And so we're going to be able to look at that and then apply it to what we should do. So as we open up, I'm going to read through 1 Samuel 28. Read, Read along with me. It says, in those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, "Understand that you that you and your men are going to go out with me in the army." And David said to Achish, "Very well. You shall know what your servant can do." Achish, if you don't recall, is the king of the of the Philistines. And David, if you remember from our last chapters, has taken refuge with the philistines from saul who's trying to kill him and so the king of the philistines says listen we're going to go fight israel and saul and you're going to come help because i've been helping you and akash said to david very well i'll make you my bodyguard for life now samuel had died and israel had mourned for him and buried him in ramah his own city and saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all of Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, seek out for me a woman who who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there's a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me a spirit, and bring it up for me, whom I shall name for you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that Saul, what Saul the king has done, right. how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? If mediums or people or necromancers, people trying to talk to the dead, were caught trying to do that in Israel because of Saul's decree, they were executed. It went with the law of God from the Pentateuch. So she says, why are you trying to trap me? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up to you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You're Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a coming up out. I see a. The woman said to, her, to him, I see a God coming up out of the earth. And he said to her, What is his appearance? And she said, An old man is coming up and he's wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing this up, or by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me, and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? Then Saul fell at once full length to the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I've taken my life into my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he rose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she shook, and she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went on with their night. So when we open up here, it's kind of a long piece. It's a it, we, had to, we had looking through a whole passage. But when we open up here, we see that Saul is terrified. Saul has come upon hard times. Um, the, the whole book of 1 Samuel begins and ends in very different places. It begins with the birth of a prophet, with Samuel. And we see him born and being raised up, right? And it ends with the death of a king, with Saul's demise, which is really where we're about to happen. In the, upcoming, in, the, in the next upcoming chapters. And so it's, it's a very different ending from the beginning, and we'll see kind of why that is. So the first point that we kind of hit on today is that hard times are real. We're going to have hard times, and Saul has come upon what hard times are. Hard times look different for all of us, but why is Saul so afraid? What's Saul's actual situation look for? We see here, the Philistines are upon me. The Philistines are making war against me, right? What's that really look like? What's the situation Saul's come into? Well, I got a, a visual for you so you can kind of see. So this is, the day, this is the land of Israel at the time, right? Um, the Philistines had been here fighting them for quite some time, as we know, right? Um, if you look at the area that I've circled in blue, there's five cities. Gath, Ekron, Ashdod, Ashkel, um, Ashkelion, and Gaza, those five cities are where the Philistines originally set, set themselves. The Philistines have been a, a warring nation with Israel for a while now, but the people of Israel actually came out of more so Greece. They came out of um, the, the Grecian Peninsula area, and they had moved down into the Middle East, actually across the Mediterranean, to try to take more land. They moved down from the, Greece, from the area of Greece Um, From the Aegean Sea area. They moved down and first tried to attack Egypt. They came across the sea. Tried to attack Egypt. And were severely outclassed. The Egyptian Empire kind of handed it to them. They beat them down pretty severely. And so they left Egypt. And started working their way around. the, The Mediterranean Sea. And that's where they ended up settling. In these five cities. Which was in the southern end of the Israel area. That was what it looked like initially when Saul became king as well. Now, near the end of Saul's reign, the Philistines own everything that's yellow. So they've expanded from just their five cities, they've expanded down a little bit, and they went all the way up to the Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern area of the land of Israel. And if you notice, they've entirely cut Israel off from the Mediterranean Sea. So they've really been, they've been kind of winning the war here. They've been taking a lot of land, and they've really been, they've been cutting in now all the way to Shan. So they've been cutting in, they came all the way up, and now are cutting over, and they're basically boxing Israel in. And as a king, Saul's going, this is crazy. We've lost so much land, they're on me. And now Saul is up near the top there where Jezreel is, in, in this um, In this chapter, we see he goes to Endor, which is all the way up at the top. So they're up there fighting now. So he's really kind of gotten himself in a situation. And that's what we need to to remember as well, is that Saul's enemies have been able to take this much land because Saul's enemies, the Philistines especially, they perceive Saul as a weak king. And they're not wrong. Because while Saul should have been fighting the Philistines and raging war, he's been obsessed with killing David. And his enemies know this. God told him, "Don't go after David." Samuel told him, "Don't go after David." The priests told him, "Don't go after David." His son Jonathan told him, "Don't try to kill David." Yet he's been obsessed with chasing and trying to kill David. Instead of fighting the war, he should have been fighting as king. And now he's almost lost. So now he wakes up and goes, oh my gosh, I'm surrounded. And he's kind of freaking out. He's, a, he's afraid. He finds himself overwhelmed. David, at this point, had taken refuge down in Ziklag. It's at the very bottom of the yellow section. In the beginning of this chapter, we see that the king of the Philistines talks to David. They had let David kind of stay down there in Ziklag. Um while the king of Achish, the king of, of the Philistines, is up in the north fighting with, with Saul. And he told David, you know, hey, you guys, you and your men can, can stay down there. And David took the town of Ziklag, and he said, you can down there. And David said, yeah, well, I'll be down here, and I'm going to run raids with my guys. And we're going to run raids against Israel to help you out. While you're in the north, we'll be fighting in the south. It was kind of a lie. David told them that, but actually what David's doing is running raids against the, Am- the, the, Amala- uh, the, Am- yeah, the Amalekites. If you see the land of green land down there's Amalek, which is the land that Saul was supposed to wipe everyone out of and, and didn't. David's been running raids against them. And the king of the Philistines is up in the north so busy, he didn't check up on David. So he just takes it for his word and goes, oh, okay, David's helping me down the south. In the meantime, David's been fighting them because he says, if I do become king, that gives me a leg up. I've already wiped out the people in the south I have to deal with. So inadvertently, David's actually working on what Saul was supposed to do. And finally, the king of the, Amal- or the, king of the Philistines, Achish, says, listen, it's getting down to the end. I'm about to attack Saul and his men. You're going to come up now. I've been letting you sit around and be safe in my land. Now you're going to pay me off. You've got to come up and you're going to fight with me. You're going to fight against Saul. This is kind of an issue for David too, because remember, David had vowed not to kill Saul. Right? He had a number of opportunities that we saw in the last few weeks, and he didn't take them. He actually showed Saul, look, it, I could have killed you and I didn't, because you're the man God made king, and I'm not going to do that. It's against God and you. So now David's kind of put in a situation where he's told, you're going to come up here and fight with me and you're going to fight against Saul. David's a bit, his answer, if you see, is not really, he doesn't say, yeah, I'm on my way. He says, well, you'll see what I can do. And he just kind of leaves it that way. So the point being here, why I kind of tell you all this is so you can see why Saul's in trouble. Saul surrounded. The Philistines have been taking huge amounts of land in Israel while he's been obsessed with David, and now he has David that's going to be coming against him too. So he just is completely overwhelmed, right? So how does this look? We may not be fighting armies today. Hopefully we're not. But we do find ourselves in situations where we can feel overwhelmed. Career issues, right, family strife, sickness, death in the family. there's areas where we can feel like we're overwhelmed and we don't know what to do. Um, it's during those times that we need to be we need to seek out God instead of seeking other areas, right And we're going to see that Saul doesn't really handle that that um, well as we continue to go through, right. Um, we, can be, we can be overwhelmed by depression, by hopelessness. These things are very easy in our sinful nature, especially, to be overwhelmed by. But what we've got to remember is that there, we have to go about this the right way, the way that God's Word tells us to, and we need to seek the right person and being in God. So the first step in that, the next piece, is to be faithful. Right? Saul has not been faithful. I don't want you to get the, the misunderstanding of this passage, that Saul has been a phenomenal, um, a phenomenal king. That Saul has listened to God, and that Saul has been, you know, had a great relationship with God. And now all of a sudden, God's not talking to him. That's not the situation here. Saul has not been faithful at all. Saul, matter of fact, has been actively rejecting God. There's been a number of ways he's done this. Initially, he was supposed to kill the uh, the, the Amalekites. He was commanded by God, kill all the Amalekites, everybody. Just go in when you fight the Amalekites and kill everybody there. Kill all their livestock, burn the house, get rid of everything. Because God knows that these are enemies of his people and enemies of him. And Saul didn't do that, if you remember. He killed most Amalekites, but he kept all the best livestock and they looted. They kept all the best stuff from the Amalekites. And he said, well, you know, I didn't think that you'd want me to do that. Well, look at I took some of these best ones and I, I, we, we sacrificed them to you, God. Right? And he tries to come up with an excuse, but the choice was he didn't listen to God. God gave him commands and he didn't listen. So he rejected God at that point. He's also become obsessed with hunting David, even though God and Samuel have told him not to. And in that point, he's rejected God also. We have this pattern of God telling him things and Saul not doing them unless he feels like it. He's also turned from God by stopping to listening, listening to Samuel. Samuel is the prophet. He's got, he speaks for God. He conveys messages to, to Saul from God, what God wants. And he stopped listening to Samuel because he didn't like what he was being told. So he's, so he's actively rejected God in that, that manner too. Um, he's rejected Samuel's counsel and he's rejected the guidance of God. In chapter 22, not long ago here, there was a situation where there was 85 priests of God. And Saul had these priests killed because of his obsession with David and his paranoia. David was allowed to escape from a town. And Saul came into the town and said, well, how come he escaped? And the priests were like, well, we're not going to kill him. He's anointed. Like, and God said, you shouldn't, be, you shouldn't have been chasing him anyway. We weren't going we to fight David. We weren't going to kill him. So we just let him go. And so in retaliation, he said, "Well, you're all against me, you're all for David, you're all against me." And he kills 85 priests of God. So he's not just actively annoying, he's not just actively ignoring God now. He's physically going against God. So he's not a faithful person whatsoever in, these, in this situation. Now that Saul's in trouble, though, what happens? He's looking for a way out. So now that he's in trouble, he goes, oh, God, what should I do? The Philistines are on me. Well, wait a second. You didn't have a relationship with God. You have ignored everything God's told you. You've actively gone against him. You've killed his people. But now that you're in trouble, hey, what's going to go? How can you help me? He's not being, and it says here that God, you know, he says God didn't respond to him. God hasn't talked to him when he's asked. Well, no, because Saul's sin and rebellion has caused this. Saul severed the relationship and walked away from God. Saul wanted to treat God like a genie, which is somehow what we sometimes we can easily fall into, right? Where you rub the bottle when you have a wish, but then you stuff him back in afterwards. Saul's treating God kind of like that here. He doesn't want to hear from God when God's telling him, you know, don't chase David. You know, you need to vanquish the enemies I've told you, right? Um, He's telling him all these things that he needs to do. He doesn't want to listen. But the second he needs something, he wants to rub the bottle and have God pop out and do whatever he wants. And that's not how God operates. You need to be faithful. Now that Saul's in trouble, as I said, he's looking for a way out, right? He's just seeking solutions for his problems. So, how does this apply to us? Well, before we demand of God, we need to take a hard look at ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, have we been seeking and serving God? Am I in the right relationship with Jesus? Am I right in my relationship that, I, that, that because I'm trying to ask now? right? I'm seeking. If not, we need to first repent and confess where we've fallen short. And I, I want to be clear here because we have a merciful and gracious God. We have a God who does not give us the punishment we deserve. We have God who gives us blessings we don't deserve. Right? That's part of the relationship we have with God because of Jesus. But God does that to people in right relationship with Him. And God is gracious and merciful to people who are repentant and people who say who open their heart to him and say, I know I've messed up. I'm sorry. Please help. Come into my heart and and help me. Saul is not that person. Nowhere here has Saul said, I messed up. Nowhere here has Saul said, please come in and help me because I, I know I didn't listen to you. I know I've been terrible. I know I did things against you. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, hey, I'm in trouble. I need you to step down here and do a miracle. Please come in and take out the Philistines. But he has no relationship to God whatsoever. He's not put his faith in him. He doesn't really, you know, he doesn't follow anything that God's told him. And so this is why we have this silence that he, that he mentions from God. When times are tough, which we know they're going to be, we need to be faithful. And we need to look and make sure that first off, our, right, our relationship is right with God before we try to move anywhere else. That's the foundation. What's our relationship with God? The second thing we need to do is reject idols, We need to reject idolatry. And idolatry comes in many different forms. It's basically, and we've talked about idolatry before, idolatry is really putting your faith in anything besides God. And Saul puts his faith in a number of different things here that have nothing to do with God. The first thing that Saul puts his faith in is himself, the pride that he has in himself. Saul's reoccurring issue is that it is always someone else's fault. I don't know if you've ever met someone like this. But Saul's whole base personality is, it's never me, it's someone else. So every time these bad things are happening, Saul's blaming everyone else. First, he blames the Amalekites. It's their fault. Then he blames the Philistines. Well, it's the Philistines. They're my enemy. Everything bad's happening. is the Philistines' fault. Then he blames David. Well, it's David's fault, and I need to kill David. Everything is always someone else's fault. It has nothing to do with him completely denying and running from God. And then even here in this passage, when he's questioned with the medium by the Spirit, Saul blames the Philistines and then the Lord. The Spirit says, why have you summoned me? And he says, well, the Philistines are about to wipe us out. And and then he says, and also God won't talk to me. He doesn't say, I've messed up. I've been a terrible king. I've basically left the kingdom on cruise control while I tried to kill my son-in-law. None of that comes up. The Philistines have just overwhelmed us. I don't know how that happened. I've been such a good king. And then, of course, he blames, and God won't talk to me. So again, he continuously is blaming. He's playing the blame game here instead of taking responsibility for himself. And saying, well, I've fallen from God. I stopped listening. I rejected him. I rejected your counsel. I've rejected everything. And now here I am. And I'm at my wit's end. Saul then does even worse. And he turns to divination and necromancy, which he had condemned. And that's, this is a big deal here. It tells us just that he looks for a medium and he goes to Endor. But it also tells us a few other pieces here. Saul had condemned divination and necromancy. Divination means trying to say the future. That would be tarot cards, astrology, any of this stuff, wherever you're trying to figure out the future by your own means. Or necromancy, basically trying to talk to the dead. Saul had outlawed this and said, if anyone's doing this in, in, in our land, they should be put to death. And he was right to do that because it's against the law of God. It was one of the things he did right. But now the first time he's in real trouble he goes back on it and he says, hey, go find me a medium. So it was only against the law if it, didn't, if it had nothing to do with Saul. Now that Saul has a need, he doesn't, it doesn't pertain to him. So now he's decided to put his faith in this thing that he knows to be wrong. Why does he know it to be wrong? Well, we know he outlawed it first off. And then it tells us here in the passage, not only that, but he, he, dis, he dresses up in a disguise to go meet with this person. So he really knows it's wrong. He's, made it, he's made, it, made it against the law, and he doesn't want anyone to see him doing it. Normally, if you feel like you have to hide something, it's because you know it's wrong. If you have to hide your behavior, then you already know whether it's good or bad. And Saul has decided he needs to dress up in a disguise to go seek the counsel of this medium, of this person who talks with the dead. Um, Which is not really what they do either, which we're going to see. So this is when Saul seeks out this medium, and then he trusts in her ability to raise the dead to solve his problem. So this is where we see the spirit of Samuel that's raised. Um, There's two options biblically on this. You will hear pastors that talk really and say two things. So I gotta kind of have to address it as we move forward. Um, you will say people that say that this is Samuel, and he's been raised by this medium, by this woman, to answer questions. Or you will say people that say that this is an evil spirit or a demon impersonating Samuel. Um, both people will give you their reasons on it. Um, to be honest, either way, it doesn't really impact. It's still the same point that we're going to talk about but I got to kind of throw it out there just so you guys know kind of where it is. Where I would stand on this is I stand definitely in the in the party or the camp that says that this is an evil spirit or a demon that's impersonating Samuel. And I'm going to give you some of the quick reasons why I think that. Um, you if you don't agree, that's up to you and you can do that, but I'm always just going to throw out kind of why I think that. First off, divination is against God. God has said that all throughout Right. Divination and necromancy is against God's word. God does not um, go against his own word. God does not contradict himself. Right. God has many methods of talking to people. He spoke to them directly. He spoke through prophets. He spoke through angels. Right. He's even spoke through inanimate objects like a burning bush. But he never spoke through something that was an idolatry. He never spoke through a golden calf to people because he'd said that was wrong. He had, if he wanted to talk in this situation or send a message in this situation to Saul, there's many other ways God would have done it that were biblical. This does not fall under that. The second piece is that people who speak with the dead are subject to death by God's law. Again, this would, he would be putting everyone in the situation in that. And that just doesn't line up with how God does things through the rest of Scripture. The third one is, again, whenever we see a situation where we're unsure or there's a question on us what a passage means, the best place to check is the Bible. Look into the Scripture about other things to see what they say about this. Because, again, God does not contradict himself. In First Chronicles, verses 13 and 14, it's talking about this exact situation. And it says, So Saul died for his breach of faith. He broke faith with the Lord in that he did not keep the commandment of the Lord. And also he consulted a medium seeking guidance. He did not seek guidance from the Lord. Therefore the Lord put him to death and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So in other parts of the scriptures, the Bible says he wasn't seeking the Lord here. This was not of the Lord. And actually, because he went to this medium, it's one of the reasons God killed him the next day or had him die. He actually committed suicide. But it's one of the reasons he died the next day and the kingdom was handed over to David. So we see a lot of reasons why this would not be God speaking or speaking even through Samuel. The assumption here also, and one of the other reasons that I feel that this this fits here, the assumption is the medium raised Samuel. That's a problem as well for me theologically and biblically. We know that there's only one way for to raise the dead, right? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Only through Jesus can the dead be raised. So to believe that there was these people literally walking around that could just do that does not line up with the Bible. Only God can do that, and it doesn't fit here. Really, what we know of these people that were necromancers and diviners is that they were people who opened themselves up to demons and other spirits. And when you open yourself up to that world, it's easy to be possessed. It's easy to be oppressed, to have spirits speak through you, or spirits use that situation. We see in the New Testament Jesus dealing with that. We see him casting demons out of people. He sends his disciples out to cast demons out out of people to help people that are being oppressed by demons. And demons will often try to appear in friendly guise. Saul went to this situation wanting to talk to Samuel, and that's what he saw. And so that's the, those are some of the reasons I believe that. The other reason here is because Saul receives no hope from this message. There's no call to repent. There's no turn to God from the spirit, right? If this really had been Samuel he was communicating with, Samuel was a prophet of God. Even though Saul's in a bad spot, Samuel's first message would have been get right with God. Turn from from what you're doing. The problem you're in is because you rejected God. Listen to God. It's not too late. It's never too late for us. It's too late for his kingship, but he knew that quite a while ago right? David's going to be king, but for his soul, it's never too late. And if this had really been Samuel, Samuel would have said, listen, you need to, don't listen, worry about the other nonsense you're worried about. You need to turn to God, repent, confess what you've done against God, and turn to him. There's hope for that, but there's no hope in this message. This spirit that he identifies as Samuel, and really, if you read this, David, or it's Saul who says, That's Samuel. And then from that on, it calls the spirit Samuel. But Saul's the one who identifies and says, Oh, that's Samuel. It's an old guy in a robe? Yeah, that's Samuel. Because he wanted so badly to talk to Samuel. But this spirit only gives him, the only message it gives him is, Listen, hope's lost. God hates you, you're his enemy, and you're going to die tomorrow. The only message that's brought here is misery. And that's what evil spirits and demons want to prey on people for. They want to bring chaos and misery. Right? I've heard some people who've tried to argue against that, and they said, well, if it was a demon, they would have told him all these great things. No. Because that wouldn't have caused them misery. It wouldn't have caused them to to fall to to his face and to give up hope. The only message he gets here from this... Because he went about the wrong way, he put his trust in these demonic forces, in these divination and necromancy, and so he got what he asked for. He got a condemning message that said, all's lost, you're going to die tomorrow. And there was no call to God. There was no call to, 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 to try to repent or to give himself to God. Regardless of what the spirit is in this situation, though, the point's the same. Saul should have reasserted his faith in God here. If God wasn't talking to him, and especially he's not hearing from God because he had rejected God, he should have turned to God more. He should have prayed more and said, hey, I've messed up. I know what I've done. I, I killed your people. I've not listened to you. I've done whatever I felt I thought was right, not what you were right. And I, I'm just I'm putting myself at your feet. And it's not what he does. Even after this bad message... He then waits around for hours for this medium to cook a meal, and then he sits and eats with her. These people who he said, if you're doing this stuff, you're going to die, he not only used them in this situation, but then he sits and eats a meal with them instead of, again, using this time. If you were told today, hey, you only have a day to live, you might want to think about how you're going to spend that day. I'm going to be honest, I would want to make sure I'm right with God. And that never crosses Saul's mind. Um, We don't see Saul, David is not perfect either when we see him as king later in the scripture. But David, we see even from the Psalms, always calls out to the Lord. We see a strong relationship that David has with God. And Saul doesn't have that. Saul's relying on himself and he only turns to God when he needs something. Or Or what God tells him lines up with what he wants to do. So he's not putting his faith there. Instead, he puts his faith in himself. He puts his faith in these mediums who are necromancers and diviners. He's put, himself every, he's put his faith everywhere but God. Too often we're tempted to look for the easy answer. And that's what, that's what Saul's doing here. He could have repented to God, but that would have been difficult. He would have had to step out of his own way. Because in order to do that, you have to admit you're wrong it's much easier to just look for other options. So he looks for every other answer there is. And we can fall into this too. Like I mentioned in my opening story, right? There's people with crystals. There's people with uh, mediums, astrology, right? What's my horoscope tell me? Well, I live by that. Well, I'm gonna have a great day because Mars is in alignment with Jupiter, right? I don't know how you think a planet that doesn't know you is dictating what you have to do today. Right, the, again, putting your faith in things that have nothing to do with God, because it's easier than admitting I'm wrong and I need God. Matter of fact, a lot of these kind of New Age, as we would call them, even though they're very old, as we've seen. Right, there's been divination and in, and in, in necromancy and paganism as long as there's as long as we've been here. Right, although we take to the call them New Age, but a lot of these new options that we look at are really just opportunities to not take advantage or to not not to not to take advantage, but they're opportunities to not basically take responsibility for ourselves. Because if I, if I can find a quick answer, if I can rely on crystals, if I can rely on tarot cards, if I can rely on astrology, if I can rely on the new social media fad, right, then I don't have to take responsibility for myself. None of those things are going to forgive you. None of those things are going to have mercy or grace on you. God will. And all you have to do is say to God, hey, I messed up. I know I need you. So that leads me to my last point, which is we need to seek the Lord. Above all else, we need to seek the Lord. right? We need to repent for our shortcomings and ask for help. We need to pray unceasingly. Again, we don't see that from Paul or from Saul. I'm sorry. We need to read God's word. We have a God of grace and mercy, and all you have to do is ask with an open heart, and God will fill that. What's more important to you? Quick relief or temporary of our temporary problems or eternal salvation? Any problem we have, even Saul's problem here, he was losing a war and he was surrounded by, by, by his enemies. Is that more important than where he's going to be eternally? Is remaining king more important than where he's going to be eternally? Not at all. Right? And we need to think about things like that. We need to remember our perspective when we're seeking God and when we're in times of trouble. Right? What's more important? Is it quick relief of temporary problems or is it our eternal salvation? Saul should have turned to God at every step of his journey. We've seen all the options that he took. At every step, he could have turned to God and just prayed and said, God, help me. I know I've messed up. Taking responsibility. But he doesn't. Have you, you know, when we look at Saul, we have to say, he didn't do this stuff, so how do we do it? Have we done this? Right? Again, this is a story to say, don't be like Saul. Have you given your life to Jesus? I know many of you here have. Right? If so because I know many people here have given their life to Jesus, are you acting like it? Saul proclaimed to be the king of God's people, but he wasn't acting like it. If not, I encourage you to pray to him right now and just say, you know, Jesus, I know I'm sinful and far from perfect by accept your death and your resurrection as a covering for my sin. I'm ready to hand over the reins to you for my life. If Saul had handed over the reins to his life, It may have been a different end to his story, but he clutched those reins so hard they choked himself out. If you just prayed that and meant it, congratulations, you've been saved. (laughs) Everyone thinks that salvation is a huge, long process. All it really is, is you honestly opening your heart to Jesus and saying, hey, I'm not perfect. I've messed up a lot. And I know that I know that the only way to salvation is through you. The only way to God is through Jesus. And if you understand that and you know it in your heart, that's what salvation is. If you've just realized that or you've just prayed it, congratulations. Now you should talk to me or Pastor Dan or somebody. We should get you baptized because that's the next step, right? Scripture says once you're saved, then you should be baptized. as an outward sign of, of, your, of the change in your heart and the change in your life. Start your long journey with the Lord today. Whether this is the first time you've thought about it this way, whether it's the first time you've given yourself to Jesus, or whether you have been saved for 30 years. Look at it today as if starting a journey again. Am I acting like it? Am I relying on God on all parts of my life? Or do I have pieces of idolatry like Saul had? that were? Do I look for quick fixes before I turn to God? God has the grace and mercy. He loves us and he wants us to be with him but we have to turn to him too. You will never be disappointed if you put your trust in God. When we're normally disappointed and feel hopeless and lost is when we've tried to do things and we've pushed God away, no matter how much he's tried to to approach us. Thank you for listening. Join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at River of Life Church or find us online on Facebook, YouTube, or at riveralbany.com.